Welcome to another podcast by Victoria Point Baptist Church. We are glad you have joined us today. If you would like to connect with us as we aim to introduce people to Jesus by connecting with our local community and beyond, you can find out more at vpbc.com.au. As we continue our theme for God bringing dry bones to life, that's our theme for the year. And our oh, Youth Connect, yes, uh, if you'd like to, I hadn't forgotten, I had, but uh, if Youth Connect would like to move out, my nose is growing, I'm telling little fibs, so all those grades seven upwards to about 55 years old, you're able to move out now if you wanted to. So our theme for the year is dry bones coming to life, uh, and for this term we've been looking at how um, coming under God's Spirit uh, his renewal in our hearts, how that translates or how it changes our community, how that flows over uh, into our community. And I trust that you'll be blessed as we look at what is a really well-known passage from Acts chapter 2, but that we'll be able to apply it and take some relevance from it today. Uh, sometimes on the news, you often hear about a breakthrough uh, in healthcare. It might be a certain treatment, it might be a cure, it might be some form of medication, And it's really good to hear about something that's sort of well-known disease or sickness that they've come up with a cure for. And you listen to all the different things that these scientists to share all the things that are happening. But normally at the end of the news article, it's a little bit disappointing because they say, and this medication, this cure, this technology will be available to everyone in 10 years' time. And you think, oh, what a shame. If only it was available right now. The one really good thing that I want to encourage you with this morning from Acts chapter 2 is that the Spirit has come. Uh, There's no waiting. Uh, The Holy Spirit lives within God's believers. And so there's not something that we're looking forward to. This is a present reality. The Spirit of God has come. So we don't have to wait. Uh, We can depend on, we can lean on, we can be guided by God's Spirit uh, internally, indwelling as He lives within us. And we pick up that in Acts chapter 2, a little bit earlier, just as a reminder about the day of Pentecost. And that will happen one day. (laughs) There we go. When the day of Pentecost came, they were together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or languages as the Spirit enabled them. So right now, we are Spirit-filled. We have the Spirit of God living within us, leading, guiding, empowering us from within. And when it talks about being filled, we need to understand what that word means. It's not like we fill up the car with petrol. It's not like we fill up with more of God's Spirit. The word fill means to be controlled by. So when we're filled by the Spirit or where we're controlled by God's Spirit, it has an influence on us and changes the way that we lived. So we shouldn't be looking to get a top-up, more of God's Spirit. We have all of Him already. What He needs to have is all of us. And so it's to be controlled by. And that's why in the Bible it talks about the reference. It says, don't be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. In other words, the same way that if I was to drink too much alcohol that would have a control on my actions. In the same way, let the Spirit control how we live. Let us be drunk on the Spirit, be controlled by. And so we are Spirit-filled believers. 
And as we come together, we are a spirit-filled church. And we don't have to wait. That's ours right now. That's, that's the way that we are able to live. We are able to live under the Spirit's control. So that is the potential that we have to be Spirit-filled believers. We're controlled by God's Spirit coming together as a Spirit-filled church. So the Spirit rules. The Spirit has freedom in our heart. The Spirit leads and guides us. So we submit to God's Spirit. We have a hunger to God's Spirit. And so this morning, we're going to have a look at what does the church look like when it's Spirit-filled? What, does, what evidence do we see that God is in control? And one of the things that we read about this morning is that when we're under the Spirit's influence, uh, we are passionate, we are drawn into being devoted to God's purposes. So we become devoted to those things that are important to God. From verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So when we come under the influence of God's Spirit, God creates this passion, this hunger, this de- we become devoted to those things that are important to God. We become devoted to those things because we're aware of God's presence in our life, we're aware of God's power. And so in submission and humility, uh, we come under the Spirit's leading. And as we come under the Spirit's influence, that flows over into the various relationships that we have within the church. Uh, God is all about relationship. The Trinity is all about relationship. Uh, Our faith is all about how God relates to us and we have a relationship with Him. But it cannot be in isolation. We can't have a strong relationship with God without it flowing over into the relationship that we have with each other. So if we are Spirit-filled people coming together as a Spirit-filled church, it flows over into the relationships that we share. And so they devoted themselves to these things. And when we come under the Spirit, that's what happens. It flows over. And so we see here that there's things, teaching, fellowship, uh, breaking of bread. So God's influence flows over into those relationships. Those who are in authority over us, uh, those who we relate to as family, and of course our relationship to God in worship. That's where God centers our hearts, our devotion is towards those things. However, there's always a but. There's always a but. (laughs) If we are to be devoted to those things, it's going to cost us. There is a sacrifice. Because there are so many things in life that cry out for us to follow with the devotion. (laughs) There's many good things. Many good things that God's blessed us with. There's hobbies and sports and various interests. And that's good and healthy. And God would want us to be passionate and committed to those things. However, if they start to control our thinking, if they start to take us away from our devotion to God, then they can be harmful. So I can assure you, if we're going to be devoted to those things that God says in Acts chapter 2, it means we're going to have to give some things up. The reality is if we're going to be devoted, because devoted is when we're committed and we're focused and we give ourselves to it completely. We, we can't spread ourselves too thin. We can't be devoted to 20 different things. And so we need to have a focus where we give God priority. Uh, and, and look, it, I would be the same. This isn't a criticism of, of, of anyone in any way. But the thing that does disappoint me within church is whenever things become tight, When people become busy or money becomes tight or there's lots of things happening in their lives, the first thing to go is the things of God. 
life group goes, church goes, giving goes. It seems to be that unless we have that focus where we're committed uh, and devoted to, uh, we're going to struggle because we can't be devoted to a whole lot of things. And in Acts 2, we get a bit of an insight into what it's like to be devoted to God. We're devoted to those things that are important to Him. And, And I think, even within myself, there's a bit of resistance there because there are so many good things to enjoy, so many things about life to get involved with. Life is busy with kids. Uh, things are hard, and our life is just running here, there, and everywhere. And so I understand, but what God is saying is when we come under God's Spirit, it's our preference to be devoted to Him. It's not like we're devoted to God and say, oh, I hate doing this. <laughs> I'd rather be doing something else. But when we become under God's control of His Spirit, when we're filled and controlled by His Spirit, those things of God take preference, and they sort of come to the top, and we're given to those things, and it comes easily and naturally because it's where our heart is. And so one of the things that will happen as we come under the control of the Holy Spirit, as He brings dry bones to life, is this, you will start to see a shift in what we're devoted to, individually and as a church. Now, there are many good things, they're not bad, but often God, the things of God are the first to go. It's so easy. They seem like they're optional. God won't mind. And, and there's grace and there's understanding and God knows our seasons and there's all, I don't want to be too heavy on that. But I, I think for me, I found when God is in control, all the other things sort of fall away. And, and one of the things that will happen as he drinks dry bones to life is that we'll be devoted to God's pleasures, those things. The sacrifice is worth it. It is the bestest life to be devoted to the things of God and not to things of the world. And so we see here that God talks about those sorts of things. The other thing that we'd be devoted to and committed to is biblical teaching. And you say, oh, Paul, that's a given. Well, I'm not sure about that. Uh, We certainly come along every week and listen to the team preach. But I know for all of us, there's always a temptation to hear what we want to hear. We're not always so keen to hear what God says. And so sometimes we can hear God challenging us by His Spirit, and sometimes He's, you know, casting a light on something, and we sort of just defer it and flick it off. (laughs) So we want to be in church, and we want to listen to God's Word, but we're selective. But when God brings dry bones to life, and when we're under the influence of the Spirit, we have a hunger for God's truth. We have a desire for truth, but not only that we would hear the truth, but we would obey it and act on it. And so when it comes to these relationships with pastors and the church, prayer is really important. Uh, I want to encourage you, please pray for the preaching team. It would be in your best interest. It would be a benefit to you. Pray for us. Ask that God would inspire. We read in that passage that they, they were in awe what they saw the apostles do. Pray for us. It's really, really important that you pray and say, God, May these, uh, may these people come under your spirit, may they be open to your leading, because I want to hear from you. But the filter will be is, do you want to hear from God, or do you want to hear what's nice to hear? Because there's always a temptation to be pleasing to people and to say things that will tickle people's ears. And I think the message of grace is something that I'm never going to give up on, and that is good news, and it does tickle ears, it is good But there's other aspects of God's preaching of God's truth that really hurts. I don't like hearing it. It hurts me. It's inconvenient. It challenges me. So I have to make a decision. Am I willing to hear from God himself or do I just want to hear things that suit me? 
Do I want to have a preaching that challenges me or just a, a, a preaching that makes me feel comfortable all of the time? And so you need to pray for us. Please pray. The other thing you need to do is pray for discernment. We live in a world where you can come to church, you can listen to a podcast, podcast. <laughs> uh, you can listen to all sorts of things. You need to be aware that every cult operates on 90% truth. It's what they do with the 10% that gets really weird. <laughs> and so you need to pray for discernment. There is a lot of wacky stuff that people are saying. Most of it's true, but they just have the little rabbit holes they go down, little things, and we can get caught up in that. And so it's not to me to determine, that's how you receive things, but we need to be wanting to hear what God says, not what's convenient, not what's the latest, not what's convenient, <laughs> but we want to hear from God. And we have to discern that. So you need to be praying for us and praying uh, how you receive, discern and all those things. But the biggest thing is we need to be committed to biblical teaching. We need to be committed to the Bible. Now, it needs interpretation. You need to understand the context. You need to understand who's talking to who and how they would have heard it at that time. Uh, it takes some work. But this is what heart's desire is. This is what we're devoted to. We're devoted to biblical truth. We need to have a hunger for it. I want to know what God says. Yes, it might hurt me, it might challenge me, but I want to know what God is saying. I want to hear from Him. Now, one thing about, and I could be misinterpreted sometimes, but the Christian faith is not anti-intellect. I'm certainly not anti-people gaining in knowledge and going deep and having more information. The one thing I do know is if we just did what we already know, the world would be turned upside down. So yes, we need information and you need to delve into it, but what we really need to do is do what we already know and God's Word would change. So do we want biblical truth or do we want convenient truth? It's a challenge. The other thing that it talks about is that we were devoted and passionate to each other in our relationships. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone who had need. You can relax. I'm not suggesting we start a commune <laughs> or a cult, uh, but this is a principle here. But we need to balance it. Not everyone sold their home, because later on we, we read how they met in each other's homes, and they didn't do it all the time. The principle here is we have a group of people that were prepared to do anything to meet the needs of other people. And so we face this same tension. If you're under the influence of the Spirit, you'll live under the tension of how much do I give away? How much do I give to God? How much do I give to others? If we're under the Spirit's influence, we'll always be living in attention. Now, I don't think God's asking me to sell my house and give all the money away and live in a tent. He might, but I don't think that's what God's asking. But there's a principle here is when we're under the Spirit's conviction, we are really keen to meet the needs of other people and we'll do whatever it takes to do that. And so that's the work of the Spirit because that's not naturally in me. And dare I say it, it's probably not naturally in you. So this tension, how much do we give? Uh, if you're new to us, I think we have two or three new families today. You're very unlucky because this is the first time I've talked about giving in about 10 years. So. <laughs> but if you want some sort of reference, I would like to encourage you biblically that we would tithe, that you give a 10% of your income. Some of you might shock horror. That's a lot. <laughs> and it's between you and God. It's none of my business. But I've generally found over the time, biblically, at least it's something worth looking at and reflecting at. Because giving has to be sacrificial. If it doesn't hurt a little bit, we're not giving enough. 
has to hurt a little bit, has to be sacrificial. And, and tithing is a wonderful thing. I can tell you, however, if as a church we all tithed, <laughs> uh, we would be meeting far more many needs in the community in this church and people in need. Now, it doesn't have to be this church, it could be giving to other things, but I trust that you trust us and you're wanting to support us, but when it comes to this question, it's always tension, how much do we give? I have so much, we are so blessed, and there are so many that have so little. And so we have to be under this tension. If we've just gone to sleep on this and we're just even tithing and we're not thinking about it anymore, that's not a good place. When it comes to giving, we should be under this constant godly pressure of saying, am I giving enough? And yes, we have to be satisfied and we could always give more and we have to find our sweet spot, but we should always be asking the question, I have so much, how much can I give away? Now, there's nothing wrong with possessions. When you look at Ananias and Sapphira, they didn't get in trouble because they owned land and owned property. They only got in trouble because they lied and deceived God. And we read here, as I said, they've met in each other's homes. Not everyone was selling their home. <laughs> and you say, Paul, this is a burden. This is a weight. This is, this is something you're putting on me. This is a challenge. Well, yes, it is. But I want us to be idealistic. What we're talking about is living a life that's come where we're filled by God's Spirit. This is a good thing. <laughs> Coming under the control of the Spirit is a good thing. Happy days. It's the bestest life. And so I'm not trying to put a weight on you that you need to give and help and support and tithe and all these things and walk out of here feeling, oh, what a weight. This is the best way to live. There's freedom and there's joy when we're in a happy place with God with our giving. And so one of the things that happens when God brings dry bones to life and we come under the Spirit's conviction is, you know what? We're really, really aware of the needs of other people and we're happy as best we can to solve them and help them. <laughs> we have so much. We have so much compared to so many. We always need to be thinking about God. Just let me live in this tension. <laughs> I've always thinking about how can I help others? How can I support others? Not to be comfortable to be in a sweet spot, but to be comfortable with that. So there's a challenge. If you're here for the first time, you may not hear it for another five or ten years. You just happen to get a short straw this morning <laughs> to come to that. But God is, look, we've, Kath and I practice, and many others here, we, we've been people who've tithed, and God is no man's debtor. And I'm not talking about getting ten times more or a hundred times more. <laughs> I'm just talking about God has always looked after us, always blessed us. God has done some amazing things for us that we'd never deserve. Just little things along the way, because I believe we've been faithful to that point of just tithing to God and understanding that. So let that just be something to swish around there and think about and let God's Spirit take hold of it. The other thing that they were devoted to was living worship. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. So we talked about our relationship with leaders and coming under the authority and praying for the pastors and understanding humility and submission. We talked about our relationships with each other. Now we're talking about, well, probably the most important relationship. When we're under God's Spirit, when we're filled with the Spirit, what does our worship look like before God? Well, it's living. I know this is a bit of a weird illustration, but I can't help but think about a taxidermist. <laughs> And don't Google it now, but if you want to look at weird things on Google, just see what people do with taxidermisting, whatever that word is. There's some weird ones. But it's weird to me, and look, if you've got your favourite dog at home somewhere, 
I'm not criticizing, I'm just saying it's a bit weird that we try and sort of preserve a memory. Something that was alive is now dead, but we stuffed it to try and make out like we remember it. And I know it's a bit weird, but it's how I think of worship. I think sometimes we worship out of memory what God's done in the past. Or we used to sing this song 10 years ago, or this is the latest song, and I remember when I was close to God. It, it, sometimes our worship isn't living because we're living in the past and we're living with a memory. But if we genuinely think about who God is and then we're having an experience and an encounter with God daily and it's up to date and it's living and it's, our worship will be inspired, it will be living and that's what happens when we come under the Spirit, when we're convicted by the Spirit, when we're controlled by the Spirit, our worship is living because we're celebrating what God's doing today, right now, right this minute, our experience of Him. But I think sometimes, you know, it's like we have this little glass panel of worship. We think we look back at it and go, yeah, that's what happened all those years ago, and we worship, and it's dead. <laughs> Sorry, that cat or dog is dead at home, if you have one. <laughs> but I hope you have a nice memory <laughs> of it. I'm probably digging a hole here that I'm going, yes, <laughs> forgive me. But every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts, they broke bread in the homes, and they ate together with gladness and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. How can you tell if your worship is healthy? And this might surprise you when we're looking at this passage from Acts 2 and we're talking about Pentecost, but the way that we know our church worship is healthy is if it's balanced. Because if you read through this, you'll see balance. You see corporate and private worship. They're at the temple and they're at people's homes. You see structured and unstructured. Uh, they're communion. That was just part of their normal meal. We've structured it and formalized it, but they're just having a normal meal and they build in communion where they remembered Jesus. And so there's this structured and unstructured worship going on. There's spontaneous worship and traditional. Remember Peter's argument? They're not drunk, it's too early in the morning. They're just full of the Spirit. And so there's this traditional sort of view, but there's also this spontaneous worship. Uh, there's, there's times when it's formal and it's informal. Sometimes it's joyful, sometimes it's reverent. But one thing worship can never be is dull. There's no excuse. It can never be dull because we're worshipping the living God who has done wonderful, amazing things. And when we're under the control of the Spirit, we're really aware of His presence, we're really aware of His power. And I don't know how we can just be dull in that. We're only dull if our worship is worshipping God for what He did 10 or 15 or 50 years ago. If your testimony is 50 years old, your worship will be dead. But we see here this amazing... And Pentecost, you sort of think, oh, worship would be really wacky and way out there. It probably was. But the thing that will tell you about worship, if it's healthy, is it's balanced. There's tears and there's joy. There's structure, there's unstructured. There's, there's spontaneous and there's traditional. Because we serve a living God and God cannot be put in a box. Uh, God cannot be brought down to something like that, but can never be dull. And finally, there's one other relationship that is where God's Spirit, when we're under the control, that flows over. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. We cannot say we are Spirit-filled people and a Spirit-filled church if we're disconnected from our community. We cannot say that God's Spirit is leading us if we are isolating ourselves from the world. We're not of it, but we're still in it. And we need to understand that when we are worshipping God, when we're um, 
caring for the needs of each other, when we're committed to biblical teaching, the one thing that all those things will lead us towards is having a heart for the lost. Now, there is no greater example or demonstration of the differences between when we're operating carnally, that means in our own strength and our own flesh, compared to when we're under the Spirit's leading than in outreach. So I have to be honest with you, I'm in my own strength, I'm not that caring about people in the community who are different from me or who aren't nice people, they're doing bad things or people that don't respect my views or something. Carnally, I don't have a lot of time for them in my own strength. I need to come under the Spirit's control. I need to be filled and controlled and influenced by Thy Spirit to have a heart for the lost. The prodigal son is a a, a wonderful story and we probably sometimes forget the context of it. We often talk about the Father's love and that's true, but the context of the, the, the parable, the prodigal, is that Jesus was in trouble because he was spending all his time at the pub with tax collectors and different things. He was meeting with the sinners <laughs> and he tells this story to just show how much joy there is in heaven when one person comes home and we've lost that. And the sign, I suppose, that we're under the influence of God's Spirit is no greater demonstrated than we have a heart for lost people. And if we don't have a heart for lost people, we cannot say we're Spirit-filled. It's impossible. We don't have a heart for lost people, we're not Spirit-filled. We've lost contact, we've lost touch, we've lost sight of what's really important from God. And it's really good here because it says the Lord added to their number, He doesn't. What do we need to do? I I want to keep it simple. We just wake up every day and we say, God, I'm available to your spirit. I want you to run people across my path that need to hear my story. And that's what he does. And all you need to do then is wait because he'll do it and you'll just need to have courage to speak up and to have the wisdom of what to say. But if we wake up every day, if we just did this, this would change. Can we all do this? I'm trying, idealistic. We'd wake up every day and say, God... I'm available to your spirit. I want you to run people across my path that need to hear my story. And he'll run different people at different times, just at the right time, the right person for you. But what a difference that would make if our attitude was, I want to bring lost people home. So we worship and we witness daily. In verse 47, we read an amazing thing there. As they're doing all this, they said they won the favour of the people. So as people outside were watching them the way they love each other and the way that they worshipped and the way that they met the needs of people, all the people out in the community, it won their favour. So sometimes we fight the wrong fights, church. Sometimes we take church and state and it's far too close and we're fighting all the wrong fights. What we need to do is to think about what we can do to win people over, what we can do to point people to Jesus. And if we see needs and we're jumping in that space and if we're reaching out to people and we're accepting people even though they're different and they don't believe us and they may not respect us, we can do all these positive things that are going to be far more advantageous than us fighting fights sometimes in the community that we should just leave alone. We shouldn't be political, we should be loving. Now I know you can't stay out of it totally, I'm not being that idealistic, but if we had an emphasis on loving people and caring for people's needs... We wouldn't have to be making the arguments that we're trying to make. You've got to realise, just because laws come out and we fight and we jump up and down and sometimes we need to, but laws never change people's hearts. It won't change a corrupt community. So we need to be very careful and wise about how we go that as Christians. What we need to be known for is what we do, not what we don't do. 
And one of the things that we see evidence here... Now, the early church, people say, oh, let's go back to the early church. Really? <laughs> Do you want to go back there? I don't think so. And we know that they weren't all that good anyway. Think of all the letters that Paul had to write to them to sort them out. <laughs> so the early church is struggling. They're just like us. They're broken and they're fragile. It's not perfect by any means. But what they do demonstrate in Acts chapter 2 is that they had a love for God. They were committed to biblical teaching. They were committed to each other and they do whatever they could to meet each other's needs. And God was blessing them by adding daily to their number. So all churches, every single church has fellowship. Every single church has preaching. Every single church known to man has worship and some form of witness. But what I want us to just think about is the adjective that we'd use, or you might have known that I've used this morning. We are committed to biblical teaching. In other words, we're happy to hear what God says, not what we want to hear. Secondly, we have loving fellowship, genuine. Do whatever we can to help the needs of others. Not just lip service, but we're genuine. We'd have a sense of living worship. Not a distant memory, but worship that's inspired by our experience of God this morning, today, this week. And finally, ongoing and outgoing evangelism. We're all involved in evangelism. We're not all, involved, we're not all evangelists. So you can relax. All we need to do is wake up every day and say, God, I'm available to your spirit. You run the people that need to hear my story across my path today and give me the courage to speak when that happens. That would turn the church on its head if, if, if we just did that every day. All of us just woke up and said, God, I'm available to your spirit. Run someone across my path that needs to hear my story in my words, in my weakness... Sometimes I'm probably quite conservative in my thinking and sometimes I play it safe. There's others on the team that aren't that, <laughs> so we're a good balance. But when I look at this, I want to be a little bit idealistic. I want to dream a little bit and I don't dream much. But I'd like to dream a little bit what would actually happen if, if we were spirit-filled believers who came together and formed a spirit-filled church. What God would do. So I trust this morning that you've been motivated and inspired. I trust that God's Spirit has given you a nice nudge. I trust that you would be excited about living the bestest life. This isn't a burden. This isn't second best. This isn't a weight or a burden. This is the best way to live. Under the control of the Spirit. Please don't look for God to be topped up with Spirit. You don't go looking under the seat or in a magazine or in a cornflakes packet for a bit more of the Holy Spirit. That's not what the word means. The word to be filled with the Spirit means to be controlled by, come under His influence. And we all could do with that, couldn't we? Let's pray. Father God, I, I know it's oh, just so, it's almost a natural response where we just put up a little bit of resistance at this point. Oh, I'm too busy, I can't give any more time, I can't serve any more, money's too tight, I certainly can't give any of it away. And that may be true, I respect that. But it seems to be the first thing that goes when we're under pressure is stuff for God. We hold on to everything else and we find reasons to rob God. 
And Father God, I thank you that you are gracious and loving, that you're not a, a, a person that holds that against us. You're, you're disappointed, but it's only your disappointment comes that we're missing out on the bestest life. <laughs> we, we think the things that we're hanging on to will give us pleasure, but actually it's just the opposite. They lead nowhere. The way to live the bestest life, to be content, fulfilled and full of joy, is to come under your spirit and to be devoted to those things that are important to you. Would you make your response this morning? I just pray God's spirit has touched you or challenged you in some way, as he has me. This isn't a weight, people. This isn't a burden. This is freedom. This is joy. This is power. This is good. (laughs) It's just the evil one who deceives us to tell us it's anything else. Do you make your response this morning?